Today, we are lucky enough to be with Bill Weil, the founder and executive director of Climate Voice, which is on a mission to mobilize the voice of the workforce to urge companies to go all in on climate, both in business practices and policy advocacy. Before Climate Voice, Bill is the green energy czar at Google, starting back in 2006. And most recently, he spent six years at Facebook as the director of sustainability. He's now moved from an insider pioneering corporate sustainability at these individual organizations to an outsider, helping to make a lot of companies level up at the same time. He's doing this by educating and activating students and employees everywhere because employees have the power to make their companies move faster and start using their massive influence, especially in the public policy realm, for climate action. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Delighted to be here. Awesome. So we're going to dive into what a company should be doing on climate in order to be considered a true climate leader and also get into what listeners, employees, and students can do to help make their companies or future companies leaders in this space. But I'd like to start by taking a step back and hearing more about your climate journey and especially how it started. So when did you decide to work on climate and why? I really decided to work on it in 2004. Um, so I'd been hearing about climate as an issue for, I don't know, probably at least five, maybe 10 years at that point. I'm sure I'd, I, I'm guessing I heard about it in the late 80s, early 90s, but I don't think it hit me as, oh my God, this is a crisis. By 2004, I was reading enough about it and seeing, you know, technical articles and articles in the popular press talking about where things could go over 20, 30, 50 years. It, you know, mm -hmm. it, seemed, it seemed clear this was something that we needed to address and it would be a hell of a lot easier to address sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, 2004 was when I, I sort of had that real aha moment of now's the time to shift what I was working on, where I was working, and really focus, not just in my personal life, but professionally on climate. And could you briefly walk us through the rest of your journey? So how did you get to where you are today? Um, well, I started my career in computer science. I was on the faculty at MIT for about 10 years, moved out west on sabbatical and uh, ne never moved back east um, for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, spent, I guess, a little over 10 years, almost 11 years in a couple different companies doing, you know, technology, core technology work. Um, and that got us to 2004, where um, I was thinking about leaving the job I was in, and uh, really realized that that you know what was occupying all the spare cycles in my brain when I was thinking about stuff. It wasn't some hard problem at work. It was my family and friends, and it was climate. Um, and uh, so I spent about a year on a uh, you know sort of self-imposed sabbatical slash walkabout and um, uh, talked to 150 plus people in that year, you know, basically using my network and getting connected to other people and 
Um, not something that came naturally to me, but, but, you know, something I got better and better at as the year went on, Mm -hmm. um, and really trying to explore, you know, okay, I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not a physicist. I'm not a material scientist. I'm a computer scientist with, you know, at that point I'd had a fair amount of business experience. I was chief technology officer at Akamai the last two and a half years I was there. So I had both the technology side and really exposure to the, the business side. So spent a year exploring, what could I do? Um, I'm not going to go invent, you know, new solar technology, not unless I went back to school and got a, you know, an advanced degree in material science and physics and whatever. So what could, what could I do? And I was lucky enough then after a little more than a year to land a job at Google um, as, you know, with the, the charter to figure out what, what Google can do about climate. Um, and I was given pretty broad um, latitude to explore things. And, you know, I had to justify them. I had to convince people they were a good idea, but it wasn't, oh, you know, go do this one narrow thing about climate was we want to do something really big and meaningful. Nice. Go figure it out, which was awesome. That autonomy must have been really, really nice. Yeah. So very cool. And kind of building off that question that you just brought up, what can I do? I think, you know, more and more people are starting to ask this on climate uh, and to sort of transition into your work today at Climate Voice. Can you tell us a bit more about what Climate Voice does and how it works and how you can help people answer that question? Yeah, well, and and let me let me try to put it in context because I think a lot of people are asking exactly that question. What can I do? And there are a lot of people giving answers, and I I would not claim to have the answer. Um, climate is a really big, hard, complicated problem in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but I think you know one answer to what can I do is it's not one thing. You know, lots of people have their favorite thing. It's, you know, eat less meat or be vegan, travel less or don't travel or, you know, go live in the woods or, and a lot of those things, when people have one thing they're very passionate about often involve sacrifice, don't do things. And in the end, there may well be lifestyle changes we all need to make. There's no question. But the core of the climate problem is that modern society is built on energy. We use energy to do all sorts of things, to keep ourselves safe and comfortable in our houses, to move ourselves and things around, to make things. Um, And um, most of the energy we use today is based on, it comes from burning fossil fuels. And burning fossil fuels creates all kinds of pollution. and, And when it comes to climate, the biggest one is carbon dioxide. Um, and so we, we need to change that. And that, that is, it's not the only thing we need to do to address climate change, but it is one of the biggest, you know, we use fossil fuels for transportation, for heating, uh, and for cooling, you know, to generate electricity for electricity broadly. Um, we use them in industrial processes of all sorts. Um, all of that 
you know, basically we need to either stop burning fossil fuels or find a way to capture the CO2 that's created when we burn them and sequester it somewhere. Um, and that's not, to a large extent, just a matter of individual choices, right? It's great when people can make those individual choices, and I've made lots of them in my own life. I've got solar on my house right here in San Francisco. Even with the you know iconic San Francisco fog, it does pretty well most of the year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we now have, we only have one car at this point. It's an electric car. Um, uh, you know, so we're and we're doing other things to gradually make our, our life less energy intensive and less carbon intensive. And I would encourage everyone who can to do that wherever they can, you know, minimizing your own impact is a, is a really good thing, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of things that <clears throat> individuals don't have control over. If you use electricity and maybe you live in an apartment building um, or a condo and you, you, don't, you don't have control over the roof or the roof, you know, you live in a tall apartment building, the roof is too small for solar to cover, you know, the, the electricity needs of the building. Um, you're buying your electricity from the local utility. And in a lot of places, you get what they sell and that's it. You don't have options. Um, and so you can, you know, push your utility to allow you to buy solar or wind through them. Um, or you could push for a policy change that basically requires the utility over time to move its entire generating capacity to clean energy. Yeah. Um, transportation, it's great when people like I have buy electric cars or lease electric cars um, or ride bicycles more or walk more. But a lot of people live in places where walking or biking are not great options. So we need to change development patterns. That's not just individual choices. That's public policy. Yeah. Um, we need to, you know, to make electric vehicles accessible to many more people. We need to build out charging infrastructure. Some of that is a lot of that will be private investment, but it's going to take public policy to make it happen at the speed we need it to happen. So right. I like to think of you know, the things you can do as being uh, you know, sort of concentric circles of influence. Um, there's your own life that you can control and, and make choices in, and you can do a lot there, depending on how much money you have and, and you know, what, the, what the options are where you live. And then there's the city or town or neighborhood you live and work in. Um, you can potentially drive changes there by voting and speaking up at city council or, or whatever town meetings. Then there's the state you live in. There's the country you live in. Um, people have the ability to drive change at all of those levels. They're all important. Yeah. Um, so Climate Voice, what we, our starting point was realizing that and, and we're not alone in this, that, that lots of individuals and lots of companies are doing great things on climate. They're using clean energy. <clears throat> They're, they are, you know, switching to zero emissions vehicles. Um, they're doing things in their own lives, in the company's operations to reduce their impact. 
Um, companies are even looking at their supply chains. So they're pushing their suppliers to use clean energy in factories or, or whatever, which is great. Um, so we're making lots of progress on climate. We're just making it far too slowly. And, yeah. uh, you know, so some people, you know, there's a lot of debate. Should we frame it as we're winning or we're losing? We're winning, but not fast enough. Um, I mean, I was trained as a scientist and engineer, so I get a little bit um, frustrated at those discussions because yeah. in the end, what matters is what are we doing and what do we need to do differently? We are winning, but we're winning too slowly. And with climate, that really is kind of the same as losing. If we keep winning slowly, we're in in deep trouble. To win faster, in addition to all the great things that individual people and companies are doing and the innovations that companies and researchers and universities are, are developing, we to move faster, we need public policy that drives the whole market much faster in toward the zero carbon future that that you know science says we need. And to get that public policy, that is now not so much a technical problem of what's the right what's the right technology or set of technologies that we should be using them. Um, it really is a political problem. It's not even so much a question of what's the right public policy. There are many policies that can drive the changes we need. And often advocates get really locked into battles about, you know, I prefer this policy versus this one. And I think those are really important uh, debates. But the problem we have today is we have too little policy in too few places. And the reason is fundamentally that the fossil fuel industry and their allies, the various think tanks and trade groups, have spent the last 40, 50 years amassing enormous influence in our political process and using it, and using it to stymie progress on climate policy. So what we are trying to do with Climate Voices is you, you know, and I think you, you summarize it well, we, we want major influential companies to go all in on climate. And that means, yes, decarbonize your operations, go net zero, set a science-based target, go 100% clean energy, clean up your supply chain, and use your influence to help counter the negative influence of the fossil fuel industry. Because when you sit on the sidelines, you're letting them win. And that means we're getting public policy too slowly. So it's great if you're net zero, but if you then sit back and say, we did our part, you know, it's too bad the rest of society can't get there. We all have a problem. So we need companies, if they yeah. really care about climate, to step up and use their influence in the public policy process um, to help counter the negative influence of, of the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, that is awesome. I think you know, at least to my mind, so much of the attention goes to cleaning up your own operations, cleaning up your own supply chain. You get more and more companies doing the science-based targets initiative, which is fantastic. And we need all of those. I'm very excited about what you're doing because it's that next level. It shows the next piece of the puzzle, which is the public policy. And it's this arena that has kind of been neglected, uh, in the climate sphere as far as corporations go in terms of 
being on the right side of it, um, trying to advocate for climate positive policies to to match up against this massive fossil fuel industry. Um, could you please get into a little bit more of the details there of, I guess, who these associations are or trade groups so employees can figure out, oh, like my company is a part of this trade group. I need to flag this. Or so I guess I, I wanted to learn more about who the the worst offenders are and then also just kind of high level. I know you just started a campaign for the big five in tech, trying to get them to to put more money into this. Uh, and I know just because I've been scouring your amazing resources, quick shout out, folks should absolutely check out the, the resources on climatevoice.org because it's a gold mine. <laughs> um, but I saw that currently the pro-climate people are being outspent by the fossil fuel lobby 10 to 1 when it comes to advocating. And I'm wondering, like, the the campaign you have is asking the big five in tech to put one out of every five lobbying dollars towards pro-climate policies. And I'm wondering, does that level the playing field? Does that make pro-climate outweigh the fossil fuel industry? Like, where does that take us and how much yeah, more well, do we so need to Yeah, well, so a couple things. First, um, in terms of what people can do, you know, I sort of described it as concentric circles. One. Yeah. One place of influence that most people don't think about is their workplace. So as an employee, if yeah. you have a job or as a student, if you someday will be looking for a job. Um, for the last year, lots of companies maybe weren't paying that much attention or didn't care quite as much about what their employees thought because they were struggling to stay alive as the economy cratered during COVID. Things are beginning to open up. Hopefully things actually continue to open up and we don't have a really horrible fourth wave <clears throat> that causes another major shutdown. But when companies are competing for talent, they care what their employees think. They care what their potential employees think. And so you have the opportunity to influence what companies do in their operations. You can put, if they haven't set a science-based target, you can push them to do that. You can push them to buy point mm -hmm. energy. And you can push them to actually speak up and weigh in on public policy. And we have seen this happen in other arenas. We were really inspired by what happened over the last decade around LGBT rights in this country, where... Yep. You know, 10 years ago, we had hundreds of companies who were very progressive in their own operations and silent on public policy. And over the course of two or three years, really, companies moved from near silence on public policy to being very vocal on marriage equality, vocal against the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana, which was discriminating against gay people against the bathroom bill in North Carolina, which discriminated against trans people and a whole bunch of other, especially state level um, bills and policies. Companies helped really shift. They weren't the only factor, but they were a major factor in shifting the, the in the end, the decisions on public policy. We think the same thing can happen on climate, but we need to motivate companies to really step up. 
And what motivated companies on LGBT rights was their employees. So that's what we are hoping to, to you know, the movement we are working to create right now around, um, around climate is to get employees to really understand how important the policy piece is, how important the voice their companies and influence their companies have can be, and how much of a problem it is that the companies are mostly silent. So to your point about, you know, who are the trade associations? So, so there's a group called Influence Map. If you go to, I think it's influencemap.org, they've done great research over the last half dozen years on how companies and trade associations are using or failing to use their influence on climate in the public policy process, both in influencing the public debate and public discussions of, you know, what's in the media around climate, but also then really influencing in the end um, through lobbying, through campaign contributions, through all the ways in which companies affect public policy, affect, you know, influencing the outcomes in public policy debates. And, you know, their research shows pretty clearly that the major fossil fuel companies, especially the big ones in this country, the oil majors, as they're, they're called, have been a really obstructive force on climate policy um, for certainly the last decade and a half. And that several major trade associations, the oil industry trade associations like the American Petroleum Institute have been very closely aligned with the, the you know, fossil fuel industry, but also big cross-sector trade associations like the Ch U.S. Chamber of Commerce have been mostly obstructionists on climate policy. The National Association of Manufacturers, which covers manufacturing broadly, but across a wide range of sectors, um, has also been a pretty negative obstructive force on climate, according to their research. And lots of companies, not just fossil fuel companies, are members of the U.S. Chamber or members of the National Association of Manufacturers. Um, and they might not know what those organizations are doing in their name on climate, or they know but are saying silent, or they speak up but they don't push all that hard. But in the end, those organizations speak on, the, on behalf of thousands, tens of thousands of companies, and they have a lot of influence politically. They put a lot into campaign contributions through their political action committees. Um, uh, they lobby extensively. They spend enormous amounts of money on lobbying. Um, so they have influence. They use it. And when companies who are members let those organizations speak on their behalf, um, they are contributing to the problem. The stat you cited, an academic a researcher named Robert Brule has been looking at the um, how much money has been spent on lobbying on climate by various sectors. And the 10 to 1 stat um, was, I think, from the period 2000 to 2016, where the fossil fuel mm -hmm. industry spent 10x what the pro-climate action advocates spent. And that means 
you know, companies like solar companies, wind companies, and so on, but also um, NGOs like the Sierra Club or Greenpeace or whoever, all pro-climate advocacy was one-tenth of what the fossil fuel companies spent in that period. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was a lot of money. Um, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions. We're talking about, I think, hundreds of millions of dollars in that period. So clearly money matters. um, And it matters in the form of campaign contributions. It matters in the form of, you know, do your lobbyists show up on Capitol Hill or in Sacramento or in Boston or in Columbus, Ohio? you know, in, in state capitals? And do they show up and push hard on lawmakers to enact really meaningful science-based climate policies? Um, uh, it matters, you know, companies have influence beyond just money and those horns. You know, when a company chooses to locate a new factory or data center or major warehouse and distribution center, in a state, in a congress congressperson's district, um, that's a real benefit to that state and that congressperson. They get economic development. The congressperson can say, "Look, I brought jobs to my district," <laughs> so they can use that decision point. You know, I'm choosing where to locate a new facility to extract all sorts of concessions. You might remember Amazon's yeah. search for their second headquarters, HQ2, which is this, you know, beauty contest where, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of municipalities submitted proposals, bids to try to attract them, um, offering tax breaks and infrastructure upgrades, all sorts of things to get Amazon to dump 25,000, 50,000 jobs in their uh, you know, their city, their town. Right. Yep. Amazon could have said, we want to locate in a place where the, the political leadership is committed to real, meaningful, science-aligned climate action. And we're going to give strong preference to cities and states where that's true. They didn't, right? They wanted places that had good transportation because they were going to um, you know, create a lot of jobs and they didn't want their employees to be stuck in, you know, several hour, hour commutes, um, which is important for climate. But they were focused on the things that mattered to them, not on the things that mattered to the whole region and to society as a whole. That, to my mind, is a real right. missed opportunity. And so as all of these companies, as they grow, as they decide which offices to expand, which data centers and factories to expand, where to put new facilities, they could be using that influence um, to shift where those regions are on climate, both what they're doing locally in those regions, but also what their elected representatives are doing in Washington for the country as a whole. Um, In terms of money, um, I think over the last several years, big tech, you know, the five big U.S. tech companies, Apple, Amazon, Google, slash Alphabet, Facebook, and Microsoft, they've been spending collectively, according to the federal lobbying disclosures, at the federal level, they've been spending 
uh, uh, collectively among the five of them, um, I think about 60 to $70 million a year. Um, it went up a bit in the last year. Um, we'll see what happens over the next couple of years, but what they've been spending on lobbying has been growing. Um, and it has been mostly focused on things that really matter to their core business. So taxes, immigration, trade, intellectual property, antitrust these days, I think for several of them, Te technology policy yeah. broadly. It has mostly not been on things that are really important for climate. With a few exceptions, they all use lots of electricity. So they are all increasingly weighing in on electricity related policies including ones that will help green the grid as a whole. And that's awesome. Nice. But we need them weighing in on climate policy broadly. Um, you know, things that will clean up the entire transportation system, that will clean up buildings, that will clean up industry and agriculture. Um, Every sector. It's, there are a lot of policies that, you know, as I said before, it's not that there's one policy they should all advocate for. There, there There's lots of debate about the details of the policies, but we we have a good understanding of what we need to do to decarbonize, you know, 60 to 80% of what needs to be done. Um, and yeah. we have a good idea of what kinds of policies could drive that. Um, what we need is for companies to stand up and say, this really matters to us. It's going to affect, you know, who we make campaign contributions to. It's going to affect where we choose to invest to grow our business and create jobs and economic activity. And we want elected officials in all those regions to commit to real science-based policy that will drive decarbonization at the speed and scale that's needed. And ideally, that will really be focused on justice and equity, because in the end, a you know, mm -hmm. sort of technocratic approach that doesn't address some of the historical inequities and environmental injustices um, and that perpetuates them, um, uh, I think will be problematic both morally, but also politically. It's going to be really hard to, to muster the, the political coalition needed need to pass things if we don't um, meet the concerns of people who really care about those issues. Yeah. And it's just the right thing to do. So there's so much in there. Uh, I feel like I could have you on for three hours here and learn a ton. There's a couple things that I just want to reiterate. It sounds like what is missing at most organizations is kind of this next level of thinking of looking at all of your policy and investment decisions through this climate lens. Um, and these things that you typically typically wouldn't think of as being climate related, but it's such a pervasive issue and touches so many different things that pretty much everything is climate related. Um, and so I'm wondering if you are an employee at a company and say you I'm just use this example because I just read it in the last week or two. Uh, Maybe it was before that, but Emily Atkin has this awesome newsletter yep. called Heated. 
and she called out, yeah, it's amazing. She's fantastic. Um, she called out companies that were donating to the Senate uh, candidates in Georgia back in January and was pointing out this discrepancy between, you know, the one that comes to mind is Microsoft, who is this supposed climate leader, and they are doing a lot of fantastic stuff. But they were donating to campaigns of people who had no interest in moving climate policy forward and most likely were going to try to prevent anything from happening or even move it backward. And so say you're an employee who discovers something like that. You work at Microsoft. You're like, okay, that's, that's pretty messed up. How do you, like, what advice do you have for folks to start having these conversations with coworkers and also start organizing internally to, to really, you know, change the direction of the ship here and become the, the best climate leader that that company can be? What are the, what are the first steps in strategy or advice? What, what do you think of? Well, well first, I think that's a great example. And I think Emily Atkin has, has been doing a great job of shining a spotlight on what's called hypocrisy. It is at some level. And, yeah. and it's, it's complicity. It may be um, unintentional hypocrisy, but once it's been called out, when companies continue to say, no, you know, we, you know, they say we donate to both sides. Be, you know, we don't agree with everything that any trade group we're part of or anyone we donate to uh, uh, does, but we feel it's important to contribute, to be part of it and so on. Um, at a certain point, um, that really is complicity. And I think on climate, on voting rights, we've seen this discussion recently around the Georgia, um, Georgia seems to keep coming up, um, the, the yeah. you know, voting uh, restrictions that have been passed in Georgia, where several companies, since they passed, have now come out and made really strong statements. Um, it yeah. would have been nice if they had made those statements both publicly and privately while the bills were being debated and helped stop them from passing. But as far as I can tell, they didn't. They certainly didn't, you know, threaten to, you know, Microsoft, I think, is expanding in Georgia, building a major presence, they could have gone to Georgia and said, you know, if you restrict voting rights in this way, we will take our business elsewhere. I mean, Coca-Cola and Delta are headquartered there, their major presence, you know, it seems unlikely they would just up and leave. Um, so they're making strong statements now. It would have been nice if they made them before. Um, but again, they do have influence. They haven't used it like they really mean it yet. And that's what we need on climate as well. We need companies, you put it well, every major decision they're making, they should be looking at, not just through a financial lens for their own bottom line, but through a climate lens and not just the climate lens for their own operations, but for society. Um, yeah. And they are mostly not doing that. And then they need to lobby like they mean it. So they need, you know, if, if, if a, an elected official votes the wrong way, there have to be consequences. Stop donating to them. You know, stop expanding in their district or their state. Um, and mostly companies are not doing that yet today. So then what can employees do? It, I think one answer is it depends. Um, maybe that's my former academic self coming out. 
Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it depends on the company and the culture and how much they tolerate um, what's called dissent or activism or or employees raising issues and pushing for the company to to be better. I like to, I, you know, I encourage employees to frame it not as, you know, sort of finger wagging, telling your employee, you, your employer, you suck, um, but rather, uh, you know, constructively, assuming you like your job and you like the company and you like the work it's doing, you think that broadly it is a good place to work and it's doing good in the world. Part of your job should be making it a better company. And um, I think approaching it from that frame is a great way to then talk about it with other employees, um, you know, your peers around the company, um, but also with executives. And I think the, you know, the first place to start is, you know, when, it, well, when we're all back in offices someday, um, you know, and you're having lunch or when you're, you know, on Zoom or whatever your favorite platform is, or maybe even just the phone, um, catching up with colleagues, talking about what you think about what's going on in your lives and raise the issue of, you know, hey, have you, have you seen what's happening in Washington right now around climate? And it seems like our, our company is kind of sitting on the sidelines. What do you guys think? You know, here's what I think. And start talking about it, raising the issue, helping educate your fellow employees. That's really step one. Because I think you said before, most people, and I think you're right, most people, when they think about what companies should do on climate, they think about clean up your own backyard, right? Um, and, and too much when they think about what they can or should do, they think about cleaning up their own backyard. Put solar in your house. Really important, not enough. So, it's, you know, I, I've described it, it's climate improv, right? It's, you, it's, it's yes and. So, yes, do what you can personally and what your company can do itself. And look to all the ways in which you can influence the, the systemic uh, rules and policies that drive where the entire economy goes. But we need to educate people to get them out of this individualistic mindset and thinking about what needs to happen systemically, what needs to change, and what influence do they and their company have on that. So step one is talk to other people. You know, step two, I would say, so, you know, you mentioned the earlier the campaign we just launched. So right, right now we're uh, very beginning of April. We launched a campaign focused on the big five U.S. tech companies. The campaign's called One in Five. We're asking them to um, devote this year, because this is a really pivotal year for climate policy in the U.S., uh, devote one in five of their lobbying dollars to climate aimed at a just transition that keeps us below 1.5 degrees of warming. And that really means elevating climate to be one of their top advocacy policy priorities. Um, if they're not putting money into it, it's not a priority. If it's a priority, they're putting money into it. And money is the thing everyone yeah. knows how to measure. Um, so that's why we're, we're focused on that. Um, but, we, you know, we also want them to use whatever other forms of influence they have. Like, where are you going to locate that next office, data center, factory, whatever. Um, right. So, um, uh, 
So I think one of the things that, that employees can do then is go sign the petition at one in five for one point five dot org or Google one in five, you know. Go to climatevoice.org. There's yep. a big link link to the one in five petition. Yeah, I could, I could link awesome. to that in the show notes for um, sure. They can also sign the Climate Voice Pledge, which is Climate Voice is, is as an organization is focused broadly on getting companies to step up. The one in five campaign is focused on big tech. Um, but we're looking for signatures for the one in five petition and the broader client voice pledge. Um, we particularly want uh, people who work in tech to sign the petition and students who, you know, are, are people that the companies might want to hire someday to sign, but, but we want everybody to sign. I mean, the more we have their employees and, the students they want to hire signing, I think that that will um, uh, have particular influence on the companies, but also the total number of signatures really matters. And it'll matter in terms of how much attention we can get in the press, which will affect the companies and, and yep. so on. So sign the damn petition um, and spread <laughs> the word, you know, among your colleagues, if you're, if you're, employed somewhere among your fellow students, if you're a student, um, whichever you are, you know, if you've got friends who are students, but you're working, if you've got friends who are employees somewhere, but you're a student, spread the word through social media, through one-on-one -on -one or group interactions, through email, whatever, whatever, you know, spread the word. Um, and talk about this with, you know, if you're at a company with fellow employees, and think about in the context of your company, what are ways in which you could then raise it with executives who might be in a decision-making uh, position? Mm -hmm. Does your company have, you know, sort of town halls, all hands where employees have the opportunity to ask questions? If so, raise questions. Again, I would recommend doing it as constructively as possible. Some people tend to be more combative and antagonistic. And if that's your style, you know, whatever works for you. But we're not asking people to put their jobs at risk. We're asking them to help make their employers better. Um, and yeah. one of the arguments that I think people can make is, look, this is where the world is going. We have to address climate. We all know that. Yeah. Um, this is going to happen. The question is when, and the longer we wait, the more painful it's going to be for everybody, both in terms of the, the negative cons consequences of climate change, but also in terms of how um, radical the policies, how stringent the policies are going to need to be to get us where we need to go. Because the longer we wait, the harder that it, it's going to be, the, the steeper the decarbonization path we need to be on. And that's going to make policies, um, uh, you know, sort of harder for the transitions going to be harder. So sooner is better. Young people, I think more and more are on board with, it is time to really, for us all to go all in on climate and address this. And so companies that continue to kind of play both sides and say, yeah, we care, but we're going to be silent on this or we're going to say some nice things, but not really lobby like we mean it. 
I think they will increasingly find over the next couple of years that it gets harder to hire because there are some companies um, in tech. Um, Microsoft, honestly, has been, uh, you know, according to the Influence Map report, Microsoft and Apple are kind of leading relative to, to the other big tech companies. But Microsoft, as you pointed mm-hmm. out, you know, they donated to climate obstructionists in Georgia. If the, those folks had won, nothing on climate was going to get through the Senate. So they might have yeah. been lobbying for some things, but those contributions, if, if they actually allowed those um, candidates to win those, those runoffs, would have doomed climate legislation uh, at the national level for the next at least two, maybe four years. So they're playing both sides. That has to stop. You can't play both sides on voting rights. And I think at this point, you can't play both sides on climate. And young people, I think, will increasingly be less satisfied with companies that do that. Um, And they do have alternatives, you know. So Apple, I think, has been a little less vocal than than Microsoft, but um, has not done as much negative stuff. So, you know, I think that's why they're really up there kind of neck and neck. Salesforce in the tech sector right. has been increasingly vocal and much and increasingly clear about how vital um, climate and climate policy is. Um, outside the tech sector, you've got companies like Unilever or Mars, which have been very, very vocal, and they're both enormous companies. Smaller companies like Patagonia and Seventh Generation and Ben and & Jerry's also have been uh, increasingly vocal. So um, there are places that young people could go find jobs that aren't, say, the big five tech companies or some other big companies, but are much better on climate policy. It's time for all those companies, if they really care about climate, to go all in and speak up and lobby like they like they mean it. Yeah. So I have a more tactical question for you, maybe getting into Mm -hmm. the weeds a little here. Let's say someone loves what they're hearing right now and they go to your site, they sign the pledge. They share it with their coworkers. More people are signing this pledge at this company. What then does Climate Voice do with these signatures? And are you working with the employees at all? Like, where does it go from So we have been in touch for several months with a few employees at each of the big tech companies, partly because we wanted their feedback on, you know, is this something that that resonates with you? Would you be, is it something you'd be willing to evangelize with your fellow employees? Is is it something you think could... Mm -hmm could move the executives. Um, so um, one thing people can do then is is work to, you know, as I said, talk with other employees, find a core group that is willing to then speak up internally. Um, you can also reach out to us and um, we can give you information that you can then use internally to help make the case. Um, uh, with, um, you know, with executives, what we are doing with the signatures, we are talking to executives, the sustainability leaders, the leaders of the public policy and government affairs teams, 
um, you know, we've been talking to them for a couple of months, weren't you know, telling them that this campaign is coming, giving them the chance to start to think about how they might want to shift even before we started the right. campaign. But we will be in touch with them at least every few weeks, letting them know how many signatures, you know, what, what we are hearing on the outside. And it's not just us. There are now at least a dozen other major NGOs who all want to see companies and are calling very clearly for companies to step up on public policy. Um, we are the main one right now that is really trying to organize employees and students to start to to push and encourage companies to do that. Others are, you know, you could say others are more providing the carrots and, and the encouragement and the, um, you know, if you want to engage as a company, here's a group that works with companies that can help you go lobby together with other companies. We're providing more of the, you know, call it the sticks and the pressure um, uh, that other organizations are not. We will not release gotcha. people's names uh, publicly. So we're not going to tell Apple, you know, here's the list of 2,000 employees who signed. Um, the only reason for Apple, either Apple would want or need those names would be to then retaliate. Um, so they don't need right. the names. They need the numbers. And then we are encouraging people as they feel comfortable to speak up internally um, uh, to, you know, let executives know this matters. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so my next question might be a little premature. I'm not totally sure. I know you guys are very new still. I think you started. I mean, a year we started ago, a year ago, February, March, around there. correct. And, and the one five okay. campaign yep. launched on March 31st of this year. Very fresh. Um, so my question is is around, you know, do you measure how many people join in and speak up at a corporation before they end up taking action? And I'm, you know, I'm curious about this kind of stemming from the 3.5% rule, mm -hmm. if you've heard of that. Um, and so I guess just in your experience, does that seem applicable for driving change at the corporate level, like that rule applies to the national level? Is it that small amount of people that can really make a corporation move and take big steps in the right direction? Um, we don't have great data on that yet, I would say. Um, Still early, yeah. What we observed in the case of, for example, the battles in... Um, Indiana around REFRA or in North Carolina around the bathroom bill is that a mm -hmm. very small number of employees spoke up and were quite vocal. And it was clear there were, you know, a medium number of other employees who cared um, either because they were also LGBT or they were allies, but there were, you know, a couple dozen maybe who were or even less, at least that I saw inside inside Facebook um, and talking to folks at other companies, I think it was similar. There wasn't many who raised the issue. And executives, I think, understood that there was a larger group of employees who cared and could be activated. 
and they also understood that the you know sort of the zeitgeist had shifted among young people and that for people in college who the the company might want to be hiring over the next few years that this issue was just a kind of no-brainer civil rights issue and that continuing to, yeah. to sit on the sidelines would be seen as and easily painted as being complicit and being on the wrong side, not just neutral, but really on the wrong side. And they didn't want to take the risk that it would make you know retention somewhat harder because some people would get sufficiently upset to leave, but will also make um, hiring a lot potentially a lot harder. So it didn't take many people to make that case. Um, I think with climate, it is it remains to be seen how many is it you know a couple dozen really speaking up and a couple dozen people in a in a corporation with a hundred thousand employees is a really small percentage, right? Or is it a thousand yeah, or five thousand? We don't know. Um, I don't think it requires half the employees. I think that it is it is clear based on uh, you know sort of polling of the public and and especially when you break it out by age range, it's clear that younger people who represent the, the talent pool these companies draw from for their growth, um, they really care about climate. And I think as we help get them educated on the role of policy and the role of companies in policy, that it's going to be increasingly clear to them that companies who are silent or mostly silent are being complicit, and that's not okay. And so I think, um, you know, if we get a few dozen employees speaking up and a few hundred or a few thousand sign, signing a petition, that is enough to really begin to move the companies. And we'll have to then see what happens. You know, how much do they step up? How much do they speak up? How much pressure do we need to keep putting on them to, you know, continue to step up more and more? This is, as I said, a really pivotal year. <clears throat> Compared to the last several years, that you know, a door has opened in Washington for national policy. Um, it's on all of us who care about it to do everything we can to kick that door open as wide as we can and help get as much through as we can. Um, Biden has put forward, you know, part one of his major infrastructure plan. It's got a lot of great stuff in there on climate. It's not enough, but we're not going to get everything done at once. It's a lot and it is a really good, good step. We need companies, the big tech companies and others to now really stand up and help make those policies happen this year. And it, it is going to be a battle in Congress, especially in the, in the, in the Senate. That it is. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that climate voice really helps push these companies to, you know, maybe tip the scale a little bit more than it otherwise would and get some more stuff passed. Um, so I know we're coming up on an hour here, and this has been absolutely amazing so far. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of this, uh, all these insights with us. I just have a handful of wrap-up questions sure. before you go. Um, so the first is, what book or books do you recommend or gift to people the most? It can be you know, about climate, about this stuff, or just 
in general? Um, the one I've been reading, I'm not quite through it, but I've been reading lately is Michael Mann's uh, most recent book, The New Climate War. It is awesome. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, too much in the climate world, we danced around the, the war, the battle that's been going on. And the other side knows yeah. it's in a war. It's acting like it's in a war. Um, in our side, you know, too much talks about, you know, we want bipartisanship and we want this and that, and we don't, we're not fighting or, or not enough of us yeah. are. And so I would, you know, people want to understand what's been going on for years and how the, the rhetoric of those who are trying to, to preserve the status quo, how it has shifted from flat out denial to what M Michael Mann calls inactivism. Um, they're pushing delay and yep. inaction now, and they're doing a range of things that, that tend to create inaction. Um, and so I, I would say that's number one on my list. If you want to understand what the root of the problem is, um, that I would start there. Nice. That's awesome. That is, that is on my list. I haven't started it yet, but he is, he is good. Um, next question is if listeners want to learn more or follow your work, where do you recommend they go and, and what should they do? Um, climatevoice.org. Um, you know, thank you for, you know, for your, your praise. Uh, you know, we've got a bunch of resources on there now, including some, you know, sort of tip sheets and guides for employees and for students, what they can do to start to make clear to either the executives at the company where they work or places that they might be interviewing or exploring, make clear that they really care and that this is something that will ultimately affect where they choose to work. We have a policy guide for business leaders, which um, really tries to make the case about why companies need to step up and lobby. So it's really about the whole theory of change, if you will, and, um, yeah. and how they can exercise their influence on policy. And then the kinds of policies, not the single silver, silver bullet policy, but the kinds of policies they need to um, lobby on. We're in the process of updating and, and revising that policy guide now. It should be out probably by Earth Day. Um, but, you know, the, the old version's great. The new version will be a little more timely and better, but e either way. Um, so in terms of learning about what we're doing, I'd go to climatevoice.org. Um, one in five, four, one point five dot org. Um, I'll let you put the link on the website so I don't have to explain where the numerals are mm -hmm. and where it's all spelled out <laughs> um, uh, for the one in five campaign. Um, that's the thing that is really most urgent and timely right now. I encourage people to go there, sign yeah. the sign the petition and spread the word. Awesome. Awesome. Any other calls to action? I know you just gave us a few there, but are there any others that you want? Yeah, to I think on? I would just, you know, reiterate um, spread the word, talk to your friends, talk to your colleagues, um, make clear that, um, you know, this is such a pivotal year and policy really matters. And so you need to vote, yeah. but we're not in an election right now. So now it's about what levers of influence do any of you have to influence the policy outcomes. And 
that's writing and calling elected representatives, but it is also pushing your employer or potential employer, if you're a student, um, to use its influence. And companies have a lot of influence. Um, it's time for them to, yeah. to step up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tie something together here that you, you mentioned earlier, thinking about individual action and seeing it as these concentric circles of going from beyond your personal footprint and, you know, doing stuff around your house uh, to thinking of how you can change the system and whether that be at your workplace or in your state, country, whatever it may be. And it, it seems to me that these concentric circles also apply to corporations looking beyond just cleaning up their own backyard and now looking at whatever, what, what the other levers of influence are that they have and that they're not exercising right now and starting to look at this very holistically. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the ways that when I was at Facebook, for example, that we really thought about, and I would, you know, that there's our own operations, there's our supply chain, there's, uh, you know, local, you know, cities or towns where we're based. Um, And then there are the broader, you know, sort of communities and global community. Um, uh, It was hard from the inside to get the company to really engage all the, you know, go all the way in on those outer surfaces. And that's something that I think that employees and students can help really push companies to do. There there are hundreds of companies now setting science-based targets and buying clean energy and cleaning up those inner circles and their supply chain even. But we we don't have time for another five or 10 years of them slowly inching their way outward. You know, this year and next, we need them to just go all in. 100%. Well, awesome. Any final messages for folks or key takeaways you want to share before we part um, this is the year and there's a lot of there are a lot of reasons to hope but we can't just sit back and and wait for it to happen so i you know dig in speak up push your company and let's let's make it happen amazing on that note thanks so much bill for coming on the show and all the important work that you and the team are doing over at climate voice my pleasure thank you So that is the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, you may also appreciate signing up for the crowdsourcing sustainability newsletter that I write. Signing up for the newsletter also gives you access to our growing crowdsourcing sustainability Slack community, where people from around the world are connecting on our shared mission of working to help reverse global warming as soon as possible. So there's a link to sign up for that in the show notes, along with the other links we referred to today. And for those of you who are able and would feel good about supporting this work, please do consider donating to Crowdsourcing Sustainability. We're a startup nonprofit, and your donation would go a really long way to sustaining our work and growing our impact. You can also help out by giving us a review or sharing this with your friends to help us grow this community and empower more people with this information. So yeah, we would really, really appreciate any and all support. And either way, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing for Climate Action, even if that's just learning and talking about it right now. It's people like you and more and more people joining this movement that really give me hope. That is all I've got for you today. 
take care and we'll talk to you soon.